we can train as much as we want or as little as we want, and we will never be able to go toe to toe with guys like that. But with that said, they may not be able to go toe to toe with who they deem as their competition if they don't eke out the 1% or the less than 1% uh, marginal gains. That Triathlon Show 155. Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and on today's episode I interview Lars Finanger on how he prepared for Ironman Texas and finished in around 9 hours 30 on less than 9 hours of training per week. And one very interesting fact here is that his training had a heavy focus on swimming. And that is quite fascinating. So we'll get into that in and why what his thinking was in the interview. Now, I do want to say a few words here before we get into this, because I know that uh, some discussion might arise. Uh, because we've had some previous case studies as well in uh, this same uh, format or this with the same uh, type of athlete, I should say, with uh, low volume training and still great results. And uh, and it has generated discussion about uh, is that really possible? Is that how much is genetics, etc.? And the idea is definitely not to promote any idea that these results are are available for anybody on that type of training and i definitely don't want to give the impression that uh, less training is better uh, or anything like that i just know that these lower volume case studies are something that's applicable for many age groupers because you have a limited availability of time as do i so really it's about how different athletes have tried to make the most out of the training time that they have available and then with that, the fact that these last few case studies happen to be athletes that are really quite fast, that's been more of a coincidence than anything really. It's about who has contacted me because I haven't really started curate case studies yet. It's been more of a, a random thing really. And actually, I've been thinking that maybe I should uh, start to to curate the case studies myself and actually maybe ask my own athletes if they want to be case studies because that would allow me to sort of steer the type of athlete that uh, is a case study and I would know uh, basically that we can cover everything from the very beginner level to the world championship participants to the high level athlete that trains a lot etc so I don't know maybe that's the direction I want to go with the case studies in the future uh, for now just be aware that uh, it's not I'm not trying to promote quick fixes here that's definitely not something that I want to give the impression of that uh, is available uh, this Lars as we talk about in the interview he has a long background of endurance training and that goes a long way that's allows you to then later on in your career train less and still achieve quite good results but he he has put in the time in his lifetime and that is true for for example Carl Brümer as well when he was on as a case study so you can't go from the couch to then train eight hours per week and expect to do a nine-hour Ironman you if you if you build up the miles over a long long time and we're talking many many years to build up a strong endurance base like the more years you have the better and then you can get away with so to say training less 
So, uh, so yeah, I just wanted to preempt some of the conversation that may come up, and uh, I'm not sure if it really is in the interest of you as a listener to <laughs> to do these kinds of case studies. Again, my thinking as for why it is in your interest is that these are great athletes that uh, have a limited time, so and they're smart athletes, and they have uh, they have decided on what way they take their training to maximize their available time and that is the optimization problem that all age group endurance athletes face how to maximize their time investment and whether you're a nine hour ironman athlete or a 14 or 15 or 16 hour ironman athlete that same optimization problem exists so so that's sort of my take on it and uh, i'm rambling a little bit so sorry for that but uh yeah that's that's just my take on it and one more thing training is very individual and should be approached as such so these case studies are not meant to be uh, templates or formulas for you to follow they are meant to give you ideas and uh, primarily about the thought processes that go into creating the actual training so the fact that Lars has a swim heavy Ironman program that does not mean that that's the best thing for you to do but uh, when we talk about discuss why he has a swim heavy training program the reasoning behind it might generate some ideas for you about what direction you can take your training. Okay, so that was the longest intro I've done in a while. Uh, but uh, just because I know that the case studies recently have generated a lot of discussion. Before we get into the interview, as always, let's thank our sponsors, Stack, that you can find on stackzero.com. They have three bike trainer models that I mentioned briefly before. The base, the power meter, and the halcyon. The base is just your normal trainer that is great for the athlete that is just getting started, uh, maybe looking for their first bike trainer, and it really, you can do anything with it. Like, I haven't had, my current trainer is the Stack Power Meter, and I'm uh, waiting for my Halcyon to arrive in Portugal pretty soon. But before I moved to Portugal, the bike trainer that I trained on through all my years of training in Helsinki was a basic dumb trainer. You don't need, it didn't have a power meter, it didn't have the smart trainer functionality, but it allowed me to get pretty fit uh, anyway, because you don't, like, the bells and whistles are super nice, but you don't need that to do structured training, you don't need that to do effective training. The power meter is nice, especially if you don't have a power meter on your bike, it allows you to be much more specific with how you well you can do your structured training. So I would recommend, because it's only a little bit more expensive than the base model, so not much. So if you don't have a power meter on your bike, I would recommend going with the power meter model, even if you are starting out, because you will just be able to train that much better. You will get that much fitter, that much quicker. That's my opinion. That's how important power is when you're training on the bike. And if you already have you already have a, a trainer or you've, you've had a trainer before and you're looking to step it up to the smart trainer, maybe you want to be able to, to get the automatic resistance adjustment from third-party software like Swift, Trainer Road, uh, or Sufferfest, etc., then the Halcyon is the way to go. It won the Best Bike Training Accessory Award at Eurobike 2018, which is a massive award. So the Halcyon is uh, the creme de la creme of, uh, of bike trainers. But all of these models, they are completely silent. They have no wear and tear on the tire because they don't use a flywheel. They use magnets to create resistance. And they all are lightweight and portable, fold really flat. You can store them under your bed or something like that. That's what I do. 
And all of these models are applicable for 20% off when you use the promo code TTS20 on stackzero.com. Again, that's TTS20. And uh, you can click the link in the episode description to check them out. This episode is also sponsored by Ventum that you can find on VentumRacing.com. Ventum, of course, has become famous for their non-draft super aero triathlon bike design with integrated hydration and all that with their flagship Ventum 1 and their super bike at an entry-level price point Ventum C product lines. But they are actually about to launch a road bike, the NS1, that will be out in March 2019. And right now, as of uh, November, October, November 2018, you can pre-order yours and that will also give you the opportunity to choose custom colors for your Ventum road bike. And this road bike is lightweight and aerodynamic. Ventum has worked very hard to solve that puzzle and have you not choose one or the other. You can have both. It comes with disc brakes, it can run up to 30mm wide tires, and like all Ventum bikes, it's easy to assemble and disassemble for travel. So that's what's coming up, but if you are looking for a triathlon bike right now, then go for the Ventum 1 or the Ventum Z. I talked about them both before and we'll talk about them again. Ventum has a special offer for that Triathlon Show listeners to get a free upgrade of your wheel set from standard training wheels to race wheels, the Edco Aerosport G065 race wheels, when you apply the promo code that Triathlon Show on ventumracing.com. Note that this offer cannot be combined with other offers and also note that the change can't be seen on the checkout page, but Ventum will be alerted to make the change when you apply that code. So that also probably gives you some uh, some leeway for spelling errors. I think that they will realize if you write that uh, triathlon show with AI instead of IA that I often end up writing when I'm trying to type fast. That's how I spell triathlon. So I think that will be okay. All right, with all that out of the way, let's get right into the interview with Lars Finanger. So today's guest on that triathlon show is uh, Lars Finanger. So Lars, welcome. Hey, Michael. Thank you for having me. It's great. We've been trying to arrange this for for a while. So, and you've been very busy traveling uh, all over the place, and now you are in uh, in Hawaii, aren't you? I'm about to go to Hawaii. Yeah, I've, I've actually got a couple more trips uh, before I go to Hawaii on Monday. Um, a family wedding back in Minneapolis, and and then off to the Big Island. So we'll talk a little bit about that towards the end of the interview. But uh, first, the main topic really for today is going to be the training that you did for Ironman Texas last year in 2017 because you documented that on slow twitch and about how you trained no more than nine hours per week and uh, you ended up with a 930 I think so uh, is uh, are those basic facts right yeah the uh, the race was a, a really enjoyable time and yeah 930 was uh, was the right time there at Ironman Texas okay very fast yeah, yeah. So obviously a lot of the people listening are age groupers and they're time crunched. So that's what we'll get into here. But uh, let's start with just you telling us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, Michael. Um, so uh, I, I was actually born in Scandinavia. I was born in Stavanger, Norway. And uh, my, my parents were both teachers. We moved to Saudi Arabia fairly quickly on after two or three years. And I spent most of my childhood growing up in Saudi Arabia on a 
base called an Aramco uh, services company uh, compound over there. And went to college in the United States then back in Iowa, where my family is originally from, and uh, then finished college in Minnesota and played uh, baseball in college. And then went and did an internship over in Europe in Belgium after graduating from college. And that's where I really fell back in love with endurance sports. Uh, After coming back to the U.S. from Belgium, I, I moved to Boulder, Colorado, which was the epicenter then and is the epicenter now of, of the endurance sports world. And I managed to convince a, a friend of mine who was with the Inside Triathlon and Bell News publications to, to get me a job there. And so I started out at the very low levels uh, in that company and, and eventually worked my way into an advertising sales role. And that took me then eventually to San Diego after that group was bought by the competitor group, which owned Rock and Roll and recently sold to Iron Man. And uh, I left the competitor group once uh, print print magazines started to go through a pretty rough time with uh, with revenues and circulation. And I went into the digital media space with Slow Twitch, which has been where I've worked for the last six or seven years. And I live now in the woodlands in Texas. Perfect. And uh, at what point did you start competing in? How did you get into triathlon, really? And uh, how old were you? And how old are you now? I grew up uh, swimming as a kid on the Saudi Arabia compounds that I was talking about. We had a very uh, good swim program uh, starting at six years old. And uh, my father was a cross-country running and track coach. And so I, by default uh, of him asking me to compete with his team, I, I got into running. And I was a fairly quick miler. I had zero fast twitch muscle uh, speed. And so I was a fairly good mile and two mile runner. And then I had a paper route as a kid and I would always ride my bike on that paper route. So just rode my bike everywhere. Um, my father was an educator, so a physical education teacher and eventually became a principal. But in his PE class, he had a triathlon curriculum where you got an A if you did the swim, bike and run, you got a B if you just did two of the sports you got a C, just a barely a passing grade if you only did one of the sports. So in eighth grade, that was my first ever full triathlon. And then, uh, so that's where I got into it. I kind of shelved that for a while during the high school and college years when I got more into baseball. And once I realized that my baseball career wasn't going to go anywhere after college, I realized I needed to start getting into shape. And so I picked back up swimming and running again. And uh, the cycling eventually followed as well. And how old were you when when that happened? That would have been uh, 20, 21, 22 years old uh, when I started, when I put, put the three together. Um, my first triathlon as an adult was actually back in Iowa. There was no swim. It was a canoe instead of a, a swim. And uh, But I was hooked. I did a triathlon that was three sports in my mind. Um, obviously not the... The, the form of triathlon that we're all used to right now. But that set me on a, a course where I knew that, wow, I'm, I'm hooked on this sport. Uh, I got to find more of these to do. And can you give us a very brief overview of your triathlon career from that first adult race uh, until where we are now, basically? Yeah, I certainly caught the competitive, uh, the competitive bug there. Um, 
I also uh, did a, a bike trip across the, the country, the Continental Divide from Montana down, Montana down to uh, Mexico. And it was on that trip that I realized, wow, even after college, you know, you can still be competitive with yourself, even though uh, there's no more varsity sports out there. And so, um, so I started to look in the triathlon world, what there was to, to go after and, and uh, tackle. And, and I heard about this Ironman race. And, uh, and it just so happened that not too far from where I went to college in Minnesota was Ironman Wisconsin. And that very first year of Ironman Wisconsin, they had a, a, uh, collegiate championships. And so I was still tied to my college, uh, the, the first year after I graduated. And so I was able to enter that collegiate championships at Ironman Wisconsin. And I, I did that race on very, very, uh, inefficient and unadvised, uh, ill-advised training methods, but, um, the, the bike was done on a, a cycle cross bike and, um, and, and the run I was able to do, I think just off of sheer will and guts. But, uh, I basically learned right then and there that, uh, I had a penchant for endurance sports, but also, um, I would need to, to refine my training a bit if, if I was to have a, a little bit of longevity in the sport. And with okay. you doing a nine hour 30 uh, Ironman last year, 2017 in Texas on just nine hours of training per week, I assume that you, you then gradually started to become more and more competitive. And at some point, maybe you trained quite a lot. Uh, is that sort of the progression that your career took? Yeah, yeah you're right, Michael. Um, after that 2003 race in, in Wisconsin, um, that kind of set forth the trajectory. When I moved to Belgium, I really got into cycling. Um, and so started putting a lot of time on the bike, which is very easy to do in Europe, uh, with how accessible the roads are and how beautiful the countryside and just the culture for cycling is, is so rich out there. So spent a lot of time riding, riding on the road bike, um, not as much on the tri bike because a lot of the races at that time that I was competing in, um, actually favored, uh, the courses favored road bikes and then putting on clipless, uh, kind of shorty aero bars. And so I, I learned bike handling skills over there. Um, but yeah, did, did some sportif races like that tour of Flanders tour of, uh, the, the Perry Roubaix sportif, um, spent some training camps, uh, in Switzerland, spent some training camps in, uh, in the, the, uh, uh, the Ardennes region. Um, so, so really got to become a better cyclist. And, uh, then I actually did spend, uh, three or four years as what I call a C-level professional triathlete. And that's, that's the kind of professional triathlete where you keep your day job and you fit triathlon training in around the sides because you're never going to make any money at it. <laughs> yeah, that, that uh, sounds very familiar, actually. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. so, so let's, let's start to talk about this, uh, this uh, documented uh, Ironman Texas. And you had the idea to maybe even go nine hours on that nine hour of uh, training per week but how did you come up with uh, with that idea and uh, can you tell us about your thoughts going into that project yeah it was certainly not my idea so i can't take credit for that it was uh it was actually a fellow fan of yours sammy uh inkinen mm. and uh, sammy inkinen is a very impressive uh, fellow he uh he's probably a, a if not a multi tens of multi-millionaire he's a maybe a billionaire uh, but he invented that that website Zillow.com, and he's uh, currently in the health uh, health industry with a new company right now. But 
he, uh, so obviously a, a CEO level, um, ex- an exec in, in a, the fast paced startup world in Silicon Valley, he, he was very limited with time. And so he came up with the concept of 12 hours uh, per week of training. And he had, this is during my C-level professional racing days. He had uh, some just phenomenal results at the age group level. He was winning his, uh, he was winning the overall age group uh, class at, at races like uh, Wildflower, uh, I think even in Kona on, on one or two occasions. So he was having a high degree of success with this very specific and limited training uh, plan. And so that was the first time I really, uh, it was actually an article that, that was done on him in, on Slow Twitch that I kept referring back to. But he's got a very, very interesting blog where he really drills down into specifics and if I'm honest, I'm actually the exact opposite mindset. I'm, I'm kind of a fly by the seat of my pants. Uh, I could never be a coach because it's always, you know, do as I follow what I do, not as, uh, not as I say, because, you know, I can't follow my own rules. So this was really a challenge to myself to see if for once I could actually keep something so simple um, and, and so limited in scope that it forced me to uh, really zone in on quality versus quantity. And, um, it was, it was just a, rem- a remarkable process. Um, you know, this nine hour, nine hours a week of training and, and you're right. The nine hours a week came out of a result. Um, my personal best in an Ironman race was right on the spot, nine hours. And, uh, I thought to myself, you know, that was back when I thought I could just destroy the bike leg and I would typically be forced to kind of hobble through the run. So what would happen if I actually work on pacing and, um, uh, you you know, just focus my strategy more on, on pacing, you know, what's the least amount of work I can do or the, the least amount of volume, but the highest, uh, intensity I can do and, and kind of get close to that. What, what was my personal best at that distance? And so that was really my focus. And the, the other thing that came into play was, my wife, who is a triathlete as well, who's had some very good results. Um, we, we have a, a young family with uh, seven and five-year-old daughters who are very busy and active. Uh, she basically told me, you have nine hours a week if you want to do this Ironman. Mm, okay. So so that's uh, definitely, uh, you had those constraints and you just had to do the best that you that you could with, with that time. Uh, plus the inspiration from uh, from Sami and, uh, and I, I guess that also came came into it but that's uh that's great to hear the background one thing that i want to go a little bit uh off script here and preempt some questions because i've had a similar case study before and there was a lot of discussion about that like how is it possible that somebody on a low training volume in that case he was usually lower than 10 hours sometimes 10 to 11 12 hours but still doing like sub nine hour ironman races and the discussion blew up a bit about is that really possible for somebody without an immense amount of talent? So I want to ask you r- right up front, like how much talent for endurance sports do you have? How much is just built up over years and years of training? What What's your take on that? Yeah, so I, I've got a theory that, um, you know, you're, you're a science-minded person. Maybe we should get together out of this podcast and actually see if, if you can put together a test that can prove this theory. But I, I do firmly believe that that we are to some degree born with either a penchant for 
Uh, I obviously was not born with a penchant for fast twitch sports or fast twitch muscles. That's just not natural to me. But I was born with a penchant, I think, for uh, slower twitch activities. Um, I think I, I think my mild time as a, a third grader was five thirty. So you know, I I was uh, and and then you know I I kind of shelved that after a while. But uh, but that just goes to speak that I had endurance sports in my genes. Uh, which I think is a very, very, it's a good place to start. Um, obviously, we know so many people who are involved in this sport who take a little talent and stretch it a long way with with great dedication and, and time and effort. Um, but my theory is that you can get pretty darn close to your natural ability if you do um, if you do a, enough to to have a reasonable amount of fitness and then your motivation and your mental approach, you've got a fresh mental approach, your motivation is high, and you're willing to suffer. Um, I think you can get pretty close. And when I'm saying pretty close, you know, let's just say within five or 10% of what your absolute trained, um, highest, you know, absolute best uh, ramp up to a race with your best focus training approach could be. Um, So that's pretty darn close. If you don't want to give up your family if you don't want to give up your career uh, i think that's a pretty good trade-off in my mind yeah and but then the question another question that comes to mind is like how big is the discrepancy between the absolute maximum potential of uh, one person versus the other and even though some people a lot of listeners may definitely identify themselves as slow twitch rather than fast twitch people but to, still nine hours for an Ironman sounds out of this world. It might be 11 or 12 hours that they're dreaming of. So, but, but I, I still, I, I guess you mentioned already, like we, we heard, heard from the, your background that you've done many, many years of endurance sports. And, uh, and that's probably something that a lot, a lot of people haven't done in that same way. And it just takes years and years and thousands and thousands of hours and kilometers to, to build up. And then of course there are differences in talent, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. And, and to become a Jan Frodeno or Javier Gomez or Alistair Brownlee, you need to really be special, especially gifted genetically. But but to get to like at least a sub 10 hour level, I feel, or even sub 930, I think that if you train smart and you put in the the time and the miles over years and years and years, then that's doable for, for a lot of people, really. Do you agree? Yeah, I really agree. I, I like your example of, of the Jan Frodenos and the Javier Gomez. I mean, Michael, as long we can train as much as we want or as little as we want, and we will never be able to go toe-to-toe with guys like that. But with that said, they may not be able to go toe-to-toe with who they deem as their competition if they don't eke out the 1% or the less than 1% uh, marginal gains. And so, you know, that's a very different... Um, you know, a realization than say, you know, me and my kind of nine hour, uh, you know, Hail Mary goal. And then, you know, then again, someone who might be looking to crack 13 hours. Um, you know, we all have our own goals that we're achieving. Um, but, but, uh, yeah, I would, I would agree with what you said. I, I think that's, uh, a, a, an accurate assessment. Right. So so let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, your training then. If you first start by giving us an overview of that uh, the training period leading up to Ironman Texas. 
Yeah, so I think the biggest thing you talked about just a few minutes ago was kind of the the thousands of hours that you put in over uh, many, many years. And for me, that was the case with cycling. Um, when I lived in Colorado, well, starting in Belgium, but then living in Colorado and California, I I spent very little time swimming, uh, a decent amount of, amount of time running. Typically, when I was on you know work trips, I would run more and such. But I loved cycling, and uh, I got to the point where I was, uh, you know, in the U.S. We have it's called Category One cyclist, which can pretty much get you into any domestic stage race or or road race around. And so I raced at a fairly high level. And, um, but I just love spending time on the bike. And so my bike got, you know, very strong, but with this Ironman Texas training, uh, I, I, to somewhat, to some degree knew that I had that base of cycling in my legs still, or in the least, I knew what it felt like to suffer on the bike. And so I could gauge my, uh, effort accordingly. Um, I was less confident with my run because I've never, at least in, as it relates to me, I've never had what I would consider a good marathon at the end of a, uh, an Ironman. And that's probably in large part because I would overbike, um, meaning I would put too much effort, extend myself too much on the bike, leaving myself uh, fairly zapped for the run. Um, and so I, I actually turned my entire, um, what I normally would have done in the past, I flipped it on its head. And I spent the majority of my time, I think, uh, the charts would show that about 40% of my time I spent in the swimming pool. And I decided that, uh, and I, again, I don't know if there's any scientific, uh, proof behind this, but, um, I felt like my biggest fitness gains on the least amount of time spent could be made swimming. And, uh, I also felt like I could keep myself from getting injuries if I swam more. And so I really focused on, swimming more than anything. Um, I only cycled three days a week. Two of those were, um, uh, one of those was a VO two max type effort day. One of those was a day that was called over and unders where you're, um, just going above and below your FTP level. And then one of those was a more aerobic day. And, uh, truth be told, I typically skip that aerobic day, um, because I had to be under that nine hour uh, training load, uh, uh, per week. And then really, um, I just looked at what the balance of my hours was and I fit in a couple of runs a week, but those were usually pretty hard and snappy runs. Um, you know, typically 20, 30 minutes, maybe 40 minutes, just trying to get some pounding into my legs. So, so did you do a lot of intervals or more continuous tempo runs in those runs? Uh, inside the runs, I would typically do, um, and, and this is the case kind of any, any time I run, I'll, I'll try to negative split the run where I, I start out with a couple of minutes of warm up. Let's just say five minutes of a warm up. And, uh, then, then I'll go, um, you know, maybe, maybe five minutes at, <clears throat> at what I would consider Ironman pace, then five minutes at half Ironman pace and five hours at Olympic distance pace then finish the run with a five hours at sprint, uh, distance triathlon pace. And so, uh, I, I felt like that was, um, a, a pretty good way to, um, you know, utilize the limited time I had with, with a run. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, what, what about, uh, a typical week then how would it break down in terms of like the, the number of workouts you mentioned 
two to three bikes, uh, three in the plan, but often two are executed. How many runs and how many swims uh, did that consist of? I'm pretty sure I was doing four swims a week. And I would typically try to make those right around an hour. Um, and I think I was doing for sure two bikes a week. I, I, I was pretty diligent about doing two bikes a week. And I would try to do that third bike um, if, if I could. I would say maybe half of those nine weeks I, I was able to, to do that, say, two-hour. I think we tried to get a three-hour bike ride in one of those, one of those weeks. Um, and then the runs I, I was doing for sure three runs a week, maybe four. But the funny thing is, I don't think I ever, I don't think I ever got within 10 or 15 minutes of actually getting close to nine hours. I think I always was between eight hours and eight and a half hours of training for the week. So, um, I did a pretty darn good job of, of managing that time and, and, uh, still felt like I had, uh, s- some time in the bank if I needed to. Very cool. And and the swims then, if we also talk about how, what sort of uh, content went into them, uh, what, uh, what would they consist of? For the swims? Yeah. Yeah, for the swims. Uh, so I actually did go and in, in, uh, link up with a swim coach in town. Um, uh, Gemma Hollis is a, a, a swim smooth. Paul Newsom, who I know you've had on the podcast before. Um, Gemma went to, to learn from him in Perth and is a swim smooth uh, certified coach. And so, uh, I did all of my swims, uh, based on his interval sets. So it was typically, I think they, they call them the red mist set, which is a really heavily heavy interval set. Um, that was the real focus swim of the week, but a lot of, I use that finesse tempo trainer a lot during those swims. And so, um, you know, what I didn't do was ever swim like a, a 20 or a 30 minute steady swim. I always kept those very interval interval based and, and pretty much across the board with the swimming, the biking, the running, um, the, all of those workouts were, were heavily interval based. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, going back to what you said earlier about and when you mentioned doing 40% of your work as swimming, uh, I, I don't know either if there is any science of that when you said that, uh, that you felt that that's the way that you could raise your overall fitness the most. But I do think it makes sense because on the swim, you can do so much relative high intensity work compared to the other sports and uh, not get injured, as you said. And when you work to high intensity, you're going to be utilizing a lot of, a lot of oxygen working that, uh, uh, that oxygen utilization, that VO2 and getting your heart rate up. So, so I, I, and I also feel just, uh, just anecdotally myself that swimming is the sport from which i get the most cross-training benefit from for all other sports as well so so it it makes sense really even though it's counterintuitive when you when you first hear it but when you start to think about it i i really do think that it, it makes a lot of sense the way you did it oh and i was the guy who kicked and screamed and you know oh the swimming doesn't matter in in long distance trap i was that guy and uh yeah. i am completely converted like I, I think that swimming is, is, you know, like we're talking about likely the most important thing that you could do to, I think swimming directly correlates to the bike. Um, I mean, if you look at any collegiate swimmer or high level swimmer who comes into triathlon, it's the run that takes them a while to, to get their legs underneath them, but they usually do very well on the bike right away. 
Um, and that just goes to show that their, their aerobic engine um, is, is quite strong. Uh, it's just the musculature yep. pounding that takes a while to, to catch up. And um, so, yeah, I, I'm completely converted that I think the swim fitness translates into the other two sports. Not, not to mention the amount of energy you can save in a non-draft race when you come up in the front pack or towards the front of the field and you don't have to surge all the time to overtake people. That uh, should not be uh, underestimated either, what, what an impact that can have on having a, a smooth and steady ride rather than a very surgy, hard ride to to get to a place where you are at your own pace. Uh, yes. So... so is there anything that, uh, in particular that uh, you want to talk about in terms of how the, the process of the training went overall throughout that plan? And how long was that training process, by the way? Uh, it was nine weeks. and, and um, uh, it, it was nine weeks, very focused. I'm not sure if I could actually focus that much longer uh, period of time. I get really stir-crazy and you know, like to kind of shift to, to another goal um, pretty quickly. But, um, so nine weeks was kind of a perfect time. Plus, um, um, you know, the, the other thing that, that I think was, um, you know, was a, was a really big asset to all of this was, you know, I had access to, to the course. I live here in the Woodlands, Texas. So, um, you know, I could train in the heat that I knew would be there on race day. Um, I'm also a big proponent of sauna. And, uh, I think that, you know, again, I don't have any scientific proof on this, but, uh, and, and maybe you do, I, I know, I know saunas are highly built into the culture in Finland for hopefully very good reason, but, um, I, sauna just seems to me to really be a, an over, um, arching, uh, you know, benefit that I think is, is not swim, bike, run related that, that really helps out. And, um, then I had access to really good equipment. So I really wanted to nail things that I had overlooked in the past. Um, I wanted to make sure I had good, good aero equipment, a bike that I was comfortable on. Um, I wanted to make sure my hydration plan was, was on, on spot. I used to just kind of eat or drink whatever was out on the course on race day, but I took a focused plan into my race this time. And I used, did, uh, did Andy help you with that? Yeah. Yeah. I used precision hydration, which I'm a really heavy sweater. And, um, so Andy helped me, Andy blow helped me put on a, uh, he helped me put together a hydration strategy plan and, uh, cramping was actually the thing that I was the most worried about that could derail, derail the race. And, uh, I didn't have one cramp during the entire race. And I really, uh, believe that it was putting together that, uh, that sodium replacement plan that, uh, that Andy helped me with that, that led to that. Um, and then pacing strategy. I think in the past, I really, like I said, overbiked the bike. And uh, so I really um, held back on the bike. And, and that was partially looking at a power meter, but it was also partially just um, if I felt good, I, I, I slowed down a little bit or, you know, I, I made sure that I was going to feel good for the second half of the bike uh, versus going out really, really hard. And so, um, you know, I just had to realize that, look, people are going to pass a lot of people are going to pass me. You just got to just let them go. You're not worried about that. You're just going to pace this race really conservatively. And I think that the pacing strategy was, um, was, was a really, was a really big, um, uh, advantage to, to having a good overall race. 
So if you remember your numbers, what percentage of your FTP did you ride at and what was your FTP? Uh, so my FTP, we did that test. I want to say it's, it's always right around 365 and I'm kind of a big boy. So, uh, you know, I, I can produce Watts pretty, pretty easily. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, 365, all of our training was done pretty close to, pretty close to that number. Like I said, just below it or just above it. And so we were, we were doing workouts where the, you know, we were, we were pr- producing a lot of Watts, but we knew on race day that we weren't going to race at that wattage. And I think on race day, and I'm, I'm going to say I was closer to probably 60% of, of my FTP, maybe, maybe even a little bit lower than that. Wow. Yeah. So, because that's, it's something that I talked about in a very recent interview with David Tilbury Davis. And uh, we talked about how a lot of articles that you find online that recommend uh, racing Ironman at 70 to 75% of your FTP. And, uh, and we mentioned that, uh, in reality, depend only very, very strong athletes. And you obviously are a very strong cyclist with 365 watts of an FTP, but you still, we're at 60% or potentially lower than that, not at 70 or 75%, uh, because that's something that a lot of people see. They try to go for that. Maybe they go for the higher end, start out at 75%, and that's something that really should be reserved for the very top, top cyclists and, and Ironman athletes in, in general, I guess. And it really requires a lot of miles in, in your legs, not just from, from the old days and the old years, but from recent training, I guess. So, so this is a brilliant example of, uh, of just that, that we talked about a few episodes ago with, with David Tilbury Davis. Yeah. And David, uh, David would obviously have that down to an absolute science. Uh, we, I was lucky enough to pick his brain quite often when he lived in the woodlands here for, for many years. And obviously he's trained some exceptional athletes, you know, most of whom are very, intellectual uh, thinkers and so um yeah he's he's such a well-researched guy and well-spoken guy um i cannot admit to being any of those things but but i do like to learn from um you, you know learn and adapt to uh to those who put in a lot more thorough research than i do and and try to uh to to assimilate that into my program if possible what about your your run then how how did it go did uh, did you manage to ha- have a good run yeah. And you know, that's, there, there we go, Michael. I mean, you, you brought it up, you know, uh, for the people who have to, you know, the Lionel Sanders, the Cody Beals, for the people who, who their race and their livelihood is dependent upon their weapon, which is the bike, they're going to have to, you know, push the boundaries of, of, of those FTP numbers. My goal, I knew that I knew it hinged, uh, on having a solid run. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it was a success because I didn't walk. I didn't have any cramps. Um, it wasn't probably the fastest run that I could have, but it also was, uh, again, it fit into to kind of the overarching goal, which was let's, let's have a good, solid race. Let's pace it smart. Uh, I didn't go out, um, go out of the gates, even though I was feeling fresh at the beginning. I didn't go out uh, running a 6.30 mile or a 7-minute mile. I probably ran a 7:30 or an 8 minute mile and and I just I just plugged along and, and kept a pretty steady state didn't have any peaks and didn't have any valleys and so um I I'd have to chalk that up to being a success 
That's that's great. And uh, and just uh, to reiterate, your final time was it was around nine thirty. What do you remember exactly what it was and what the splits were for the different disciplines? Um, you know, I was right at an hour for the swim, which I was pretty happy with. Uh, I think you know, here's where Ironman Texas kind of is a little bit of a uh, uh, you know put an asterisk by it. Is this is a year where I think the bike was a couple miles short, and so you know I think I was pretty close to a five hour bike, which uh, my effort that I put on in the day was probably more a 515, 520 type effort. And then I think I was right around a three, probably a 320, 330 marathon. Uh, and I think you're right. I think the finishing time was about 933, um, which, you know, I'll take it. I, I think, you know, I certainly left some time out on the course and, you know, had I trained, uh, I don't know, maybe 10 hours more a week. Maybe I could have been between nine hours and nine hours and 15 minutes, but maybe I also wouldn't be married. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so it's, uh, I, I think you, you chose, chose right there. <laughs> chose wisely. I think so. Uh, what, so looking back at the entire uh, process, the race and the training leading up to it, what uh, were your main uh, learnings and takeaways from it? I, I think the big thing was that, if you have a if you have enough fitness and you have a fresh mental approach and you're highly motivated i think you can really surprise yourself with what you're able to achieve and i think you also have to be willing to potentially suffer um on on the race day but uh you know i think those three things are much more powerful than than just putting in endless hours on uh you know spinning the legs out 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 on the bike or you know just just putting in kind of uh, what i call fluff training um you know where you're just working on your suntan out in the pool or or out on the run so you know at least around here we have a lot of athletes who do ironman texas in our community and you know a lot of them seem to be perpetually injured and they wonder why and you know well you're training 30 hours a week you know what I don't know. I don't know the benefit of, of, of what that does for anyone, you know, who's not a professional, but, um, you know, that, that was the big takeaway I had was I wanted to see how close I could get to what, you know, what I think my kind of personal best wheelhouse is, which is right around nine hours with this limited, limited, but yet highly focused training. And, uh, and, and let's just say I was maybe, I got a B, I got a B in that uh, uh, for a grade. I think I was pretty pretty darn close. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Uh, I'll talk about this more in a future episode where I'll do a season review of my own personal racing season. But I also, when I dropped my training volume from around 20 hours per week to 15 hours per week, I got an increase in my FTP of around about 20 to 25 watts in a month and a half just because I wasn't so stressed <laughs> about trying to fit everything in training and, uh, and life and, and work and everything else. So, so there, there is uh, definitely a case for not always going, you, you, you can go too high. It's uh, it can happen. Uh, and uh, when, another question that I want to ask is, uh, do you have any additional uh, tips for time management that, uh, that you used and that you think are useful? Um, I, I, I do try to get as much training in, in the morning as I can. Um, I, I pick up my girls from school and the evenings are reserved for, for activities with my girls. So, um, 
you know, I, I, I try to get it as much in as possible in the morning. And then, uh, if that, if there's some time at over the lunch hour, uh, especially if I'm, if I'm put staying put and not, not traveling for work, then, um, then, then I I'll do something at the lunch hour as well. But, um, yeah, typically I try to, I try to do as much in the morning. So that's my biggest tip is, uh, and everyone's a little bit different. We've had professional athletes stay at our house and, you know, the current Kona champion as well. He, he likes to get get his day going, uh, you know, late, late in the morning and, you know, everyone's a little bit different. And so, uh, you know, early morning, late, later in the day. But, uh, for, for me, the early mornings was, was an important time to, uh, to make sure that I made, made the most important work out of the day. Yeah, that's that's a good tip, and uh, yeah, very very common. I hear it from uh, always when I ask this question. Typically, this comes up, and for a good reason. And uh, what about so? Okay, one one thing that I forgot to to ask that I was uh, going to ask earlier is that: uh, Do you think that this kind of training approach, like trying to do an Ironman, regardless of time goal, really, but on less than nine hours, is it feasible for even for athletes that don't have your long background in endurance sports uh, what how does this thing that we've been talking about now how does it apply to others without your extensive endurance sports background um i th- i think it could apply if if they could sync up with a with a coach who could could take an uh, an overarching look at at where they currently at where their strengths are where their weaknesses are um i i don't know necessarily if it, it first of all, it depends what their try, what their goal is, what they're trying to achieve. Um, if if they're just if they just want to finish and they want to feel good about finishing, I think it's certainly doable. Um, and, and this again, this is someone who maybe doesn't have the tremendous amount of of you know base or or foundation in in kind of life miles. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think having proper guidance to walk you through a program that that can help you maximize those you know, the limited time you have, then I think, you know, a program like this is doable. Um, but, but for others, Hey, I completely understand that, you know, sometimes you just got to put time in the saddle and you got to put, you know, time where your legs can, can, you know, uh, get, get pounding in the legs out on the run and you got to put time and learning technique in the swim. And, and those things do take time. So, uh, for those kind of athletes who are still learning the technique aspect of it and they're still building the mus- muscle memory and musculature strength, um, you know, they, they, that might require a little bit more time. Or or they might yeah. just have to realize, hey, maybe maybe shorter distance races, uh, if I only have nine or ten hours a week, maybe that's the better place to start. And uh, there is not- absolutely nothing wrong with that. In fact, uh, th- that's really where I've spent more of my time lately as well as is racing shorter distance races and and um you know that that can also help eventually with long longer distance racing yeah yeah uh, th- i think that's a, a great and uh, very balanced uh, answer so finally let's uh, wrap up with talking briefly about swim run usa and uh, you're an event organizer as well and uh, you are one of the people in uh, with the responsibility of bringing Swimrun to, to the United States. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so uh, I used to write about Otelo, uh, sorry. Uh, I used to write about Otelo back in, I'd say, 2007. We would always put out a tri-guide issue with Inside Triathlon magazine. And uh, back then it was more of an adventure race than what I would call a, a modern-day multi-sport race. 
Uh, you know, they had to wear life vests and that kind of thing. And, um, but I was always, uh, friendly in, in, in conversation with Jonas Colting and, um, because he raced here in the U S a lot. And, uh, you know, he always spoke extremely highly of this, uh, fast forward to 2014, I was going over to Eurobike to attend a trade show over there. And, uh, I convinced my wife to let me go to Stockholm to go check out the, uh, the Otelo race. And, um, lo and behold, the evening before, before the, uh, the race, um, someone needed a teammate, their teammate came down with food poisoning. So I, I raised my hand stupidly and hopped in the race and, and, uh, lo and behold, I got hooked, uh, back in 2014. And I knew right then and there that I had to bring, try to bring this thing to the U S and, um, I had a tremendous partner who uh, unfortunately passed away in March, um, who lived up in Portland, Maine. And uh, he had a brilliant race course just outside of Portland in the Casco Bay Islands. And uh, so we, we launched our first event in 2016. And in 2019, it'll be the fourth running of our Casco Bay race, which is our, our flagship race. And we've added two more events. We just had the first running of the San Juan Islands race, which is out in Washington State on Orcas Island. And uh, we had Simon Whitfield, who was a two-time Olympic medalist, team up with Lance Armstrong at that race. Wow. That's, that's <laughs> that legendary. Was, that, was, that was legendary for sure. Uh, it was, uh, that was pretty surreal. Simon has been a, a, a hero of mine in, in triathlon for a long time. And uh, Lance obviously was... Uh, you know, I, he, he was the motivation I had at least to, to throw a leg over a road bike. So, um, that was, that was kind of a pinch me moment to, to have both of those legends racing at that race. And they absolutely loved swim run. So I think they'll be back, uh, to do it again. And, uh, then our third race will take place in July next year. It's called Boston Harbor Islands. So, uh, we want to have epic races in epic places. And we, uh, we, uh, we think we've found three locations that are are winners. Yeah, no, it's it sounds like that, and and also like from my discussions with Andy, I know that he raced in in Casco Bay and really loved it, and and I don't think he raced in San Juan, but uh, to memory, I think he said that that would be like his top bucket list race because it uh, looks so stunning and uh, so it sounds really amazing. So any U.S. listeners or for that matter overseas uh, potential participants definitely check those out on swimrunusa.com. That's where you can find links to to all of those races. And one other thing that you have going on in Hawaii, which is why I mistakenly asked if you are in Hawaii already, uh, is uh, the Aloha Man. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so Aloha, man, that's another one of these kind of silly challenges that that I'm a sucker for. And um, yeah, this upcoming Tuesday on October 9th, um, one of my good friends from, he was formerly in Houston area, uh, Aaron uh, Palin, he, uh, he's the race producer of these extreme triathlons here, which include Alaska Man. He just announced the Eastland, uh, Eastland Extreme in uh, Iceland. And then also uh, recently announced the Aloha Man on the Big Island, which will take place next December. But he base he's a photographer as well, and so he wanted a kind of a guinea pig uh, to to do some video and photo shooting out on the course this upcoming week. And uh, he he's convinced me to actually go through the course. And so um, 
you know, I haven't, I haven't ridden a bike since the sprint triathlon in July. And this uh, 125 mile bike ride has 12,000 feet of climbing in it, uh, around one of the, uh, the Mauna Kea, one of the big volcanoes, uh, there. And then, um, the run is 28 miles with 3000 feet of elevation in the swim, uh, is a well-known spot where tiger sharks hang out. So, um, so it's going to be an interesting day on Tuesday, but, um, uh, we'll chalk it up to another challenge and in the least it should, uh, there should be some good photos and some good friendly banter that come out of it. Yeah, I, th- I think so. But I have to say personally, like the, the swim run discussion that tempted me a lot to go and race those swim run races, I'm not tempted in the least to do the Aloha Man. <laughs> so I have to say, no, that, I, but I wish you good luck, Lars. Yeah. Yeah. I think the Aloha Man, the allure is for the people who are into these extreme races and uh, don't want to swim in cold water. I think, I think that's kind of why he uh, decided to launch this Aloha Man. Yeah. All right, so let's uh, finish up with the rapid fire questions and uh, answer these in one sentence or less and uh, a short sentence, that is. Starting with, what's your favorite book, blog, or resource related to triathlon? Uh, Well, they're somewhat related to triathlon because they invented triathlon, but anything having to do with Navy SEALs. And what's your favorite piece of gear or equipment? Uh, The Vasa Swim Trainer is my favorite. And what's a personal habit that's helped you achieve success? Uh, going off of what we said earlier, if you win the morning, you win the day. That's that's a mindset that I use. And then uh, just having a general flexible mindset to adapt to uh, the curveballs that we face in life. Yeah, I just saw an, a nice little quote on, on Instagram. Early to bed, early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy and wise. That's a good one. We get to bed very early in our house as well. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, Lars, this has been absolutely fantastic uh, talking with you. What's the best place for listeners to uh, to follow you and uh, see what you're up to? Um, I think I post mostly on Instagram with our Swim Run USA account, but uh, personally, I'll I'll do Instagram uh, Lars Fenanger. So at Lars. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We'll ha- we'll have that in the, I, in the show notes. And- yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time. You've you've got a great thing going here with your with your podcast that. Uh, a lot of interesting characters who, who I've, uh, which I've listened to, and you're just doing the industry and your athletes a great service. Well, thank you, and uh, and but also oh, oh, great thanks to in this case to to Andy who introduced us. Uh, so that's uh, very much appreciated, and uh, I'm really glad that we we could do this. Yeah, well, thank you so much, and we I won't hold it against you that you know Andy as long as you don't hold it against me. <laughs> okay, that that's a good one. <laughs> okay, thank you again, okay. Lars. Talk soon. Bye. Bye. I hope that you enjoyed that case study. A couple of key takeaways for me are first don't disregard swimming even if you are training for long course racing the general aerobic endurance benefits from swimming they do carry over across disciplines and it's a low risk way to build up that strong aerobic base so that there is definitely a lot of truth to that i experienced it myself when i was injured in uh, the winter and spring of 2018 the only thing i could do was swimming but then my my comeback was really quite quick. I quickly built up my bike and run fitness afterwards because I just had that aerobic base so strong already. 
So then as I built with just a specific bike and run fitness, it, it wasn't that long a process to get back, even though I had been out from running, especially for a very long time, because that aerobic base was there. So do not disregard swimming. And second, pacing. A conservative bike in a long race like an Ironman can lead to a great run. And it's that old saying of uh, bike for show, run for dough. That is, it has a lot of truth to it. And even with a much larger training base than Lars had, this is a sensible approach to rather underbike than overbike. But it's something that a lot of athletes, most athletes, fail to execute on properly. And Lars' great result in Ironman Texas had a lot to do with this show of great race execution. And his confidence in that saving saving something in the tank for the run would pay off big time and really taking it uh, rather conservative on the bike. So if you have any questions and comments about this episode, there will be a comment section on the show notes page as usual. You can go to click through in the episode description to get to the show notes page or you can go directly to thattriathlonshow.com uh, or scientifictriathlon.com and click through to podcast in the menu and leave your comments and questions in that comment section. In the next episode, we will have a, a feature of uh, the various different training, logging and analysis software platforms that are available out there. Think Training Peaks, Today's Plan, Train Excel, Hail, Final Surge, all of those guys have agreed to come on the podcast to be interviewed, and I will feature all those short 10-minute interviews so you can get, get an idea of what's out there, what the different options for training, uh, planning, and analysis tools are. And uh, I found it very interesting to do these interviews. I've done most of them. I'm still waiting to do some of them. But it was very fascinating, and uh, I hope that you will find it too. And uh, maybe you find a reason to find another platform that would be even more beneficial for what you're specifically looking for to get out from your training, logging, planning, and analysis platform. If you haven't already subscribed to That Triathlon Show, make sure that you do that. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and a number of Android apps. For example, Pocket Cast, which I like and is my preferred way to get my podcasts. And if you have been a long-time listener, please leave a rating and review if you enjoy the podcast. That's how the podcast can keep growing. And it's one of the main things that keeps me motivated to keep producing these episodes consistently as I do. Currently, I think we're at 250 or so iTunes reviews globally. So that means in the iTunes US, UK and all the different iTunes stores that are out there. But I do think that the, considering the number of people listening to this podcast, there's room to grow that number considerably. So please, if you want to give back, if you think that this podcast is giving you value, rating and review would be much appreciated. Big thank you to Ventum for sponsoring the podcast. You can find them on VentumRacing.com. And if you want to order a triathlon bike, and let's face it, why wouldn't you? Because these bikes are really super fast. Uh, then you can get a free upgrade from training wheels to race wheels when you apply the promo code that triathlon show all one word all caps at checkout and big thank you to stack that you can find on stack 
You can compare the specifications for the different models and find out which one is right for you. Will you go with the entry level or the high end or the mid range trainer? But whichever one you go with, give it a good think through. And then, as you've made your decision, apply the promo code TTS20 to get 20% off your order on stackzero.com. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlons.